me use the good words, not the bad words. Hello, everybody. My name is Andy. And I'm Matt. And welcome to another rousing edition of Good Bad Show. It's a podcast where Matt and I really go in the tank, and we break things down, and we try and theorycraft different topics. It's the show where Andy tells you to pay less money to people who just need a little bit more money. Matt, you're, you're coming through five by five, crystal clear. I'm not hearing any clipping. Was I, was I clipping before? Are you saying I clip every episode? No, don't be so self-conscious. Okay. I'm just trying God. to give you a clue as to tonight's topic. Have you picked it up yet? Mm, is it going to be about something P-related? <laughs> Why did you go right there immediately? What did I say in this introduction that was at all P-P-related? It wasn't at all. Just figured maybe you had a P-follow-up, but that'll be another day. You're dying to do that follow-up show. It's going to be a great show. I don't even know what it's going to be about, other than just more gripes. More gripes about peeing. I don't think it counts as a gripe. It's an observation, a scientific observation. Okay. Fair enough. I don't know. What are we talking about? Talking about audio quality? You didn't get my very subtle clues, Matt. But tonight, we're going to talk about lingo. Oh, I we talking about audio quality, signal versus noise, things like that. Well, it's actually hard. I sat down and I was like, let me try and hit Matt with a bunch of lingo in the introduction. And I hit you with a little bit of Magic the Gathering lingo, which I think you missed. I said, we're going to go in the tank and then we're going to theory craft. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't catch either of those. Flew right over your head. And then I hit yep. you with some audio lingo. Like a dragon. That's like Magic the Gathering <laughs> that's not, lingo. That's not lingo. That's just an <laughs> old-fashioned word, right? I don't know. Dragon's like Old English for lizard. I think that's what that word means. It's magic for creature. It means ye old lizard. Ye old dragon. Ye old bird lizard with wings. Yeah. I think that's the technical term. I was trying to drop some lingo on you, but you didn't pick up on it. But I gotta say, it's gross. I know what five by five means. I know things like that. You know, yeah, you, you know, you're in. You're in the inside, Matt. Yeah, I'm cool about audio quality things, kind of. <laughs> Coolest. No clip. Have I told is. you lately on the show just how cool you are? Oh, is that what the show's about? I love this show. I agree. No, 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 no. no I already told you what the topic was about. Let's stay focused. Oh, okay. I was just trying to, you know, build you up a little bit by telling you you're cool. That does get me on your side really quick. That's what friends do, Matt. Yep. Anyway, I have a complicated relationship with lingo that you and I have talked about a little bit, but I'd really like to do a deep dive on that tonight and, uh, you know, figure out where we stand. Because I don't know much about what you think about lingo. Mm, you know a little bit about it, but I can tell you more if you want to know. Yeah, well, also, Matt, we have other listeners to the show and they've never heard you talk about it, so... What? We have other people, listeners to the show, and they've never I thought heard this just, you talk I thought this show so. was just live broadcasting every conversation we've ever had, and people have been listening this whole time. I'm just trying to give you an excuse to talk about your thoughts about the subject, so it's oh. an interesting podcast. Oh, this is yeah. a good idea. Yeah, you know sure. more about this podcasting business than I do, huh? You've, you've done it more than I have. That's true. You know what kind of bothers me? You will always have recorded more podcasts than me because you had Head Start with that first show. Mm-hmm. You'd have, to, you'd have to break off and start recording extra podcasts without me in order to beat me at podcasting. According to Malcolm Gladwell, you're just going to be way better at podcasting than me forever. You're going to have that 10,000 hour mark first. Yeah, that's science. Those are facts. Do you think anybody's podcasted for 10,000 hours? Mm, Leo Laporte? I bet he has. 10,000 hours. I don't know. I remember listening to him in the, his very first podcast when I was like just starting college. There are some people that do daily shows that are like half hour to an hour. But even if you were doing a daily show... I would be willing to bet he has put out 10,000 podcasts that are all about an hour long. I would be willing to bet. That's still like 27 years of a hour-long show each day. Yeah, but he does like many shows. Okay, well. Maybe. I don't know. The jury's still out on whether or not there's any good podcasters, according to Malcolm Gladwell. Maybe we're all just really <laughs> bad at it because we haven't done it for 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. 
Actually, Malcolm Gladwell has a podcast. What are we supposed to think about that? Mm, how long has he done it for? Like seven episodes, maybe. <laughs> mm, see, you know. <laughs> it's not the Wayne Gretzky of podcasting, I'll tell you that. Skate to where the podcast is going, Andy. You know what I said, Matt? I'd say he hasn't hit the podcast tipping point yet. Oh, he's not a podcast outlier. <laughs> Blink and you'll miss this podcast. That one didn't even make any sense. No, you're just trying to annoy yourself to death. Yep, I, I know other titles of Malcolm Gladwell books. Something with a dog. What the dog Something saw. having to do with baseball and how it's very interesting. <laughs> Here's my complex relationship with lingo, Matt. Yeah. I'm trying to trace it back to the roots. And I gotta say, some of my first, you know, conscious experiences with lingo. I mean, obviously, I think we're all embedded in certain communities and we adopt lingo that we may not even realize, right? I think a lot of it is like the fish can't explain the ocean in which it swims because it's just, it's in the ocean. Sure. And, uh, but my first like conscious run-ins with lingo uh, were in a web-based game that I played circa early 2000s, maybe late 90s called Slingo. You ever play Slingo, Matt? No, but it sounds a lot like his own lingo-based game. Well, you know, my memory of this is going to be really bad. I, I At some point... I'm not going to do it right now because I don't like to Google things while I'm on a podcast. But at some point in the past couple of years, I've tried to look up Slingo and find anything out about it that I can. And mm-hmm. it's like lost to history. Like there are like a, one or two screenshots that have been like salvaged from it. I have no idea how widespread this thing was, but it was almost my whole of my internet experience on my early days of the internet. Hmm. Uh, Slingo was what I did. It was a form of like a multiplayer bingo that had these weird like rules, as I recall, where like, you know, There'd be like special power ups and like, you know, bingo enhanced. And it was, yeah, I guess all bingo is multiplayer. There's no point in playing single player bingo. You're going to win eventually. <laughs> so it was, you know, bingo online and it had a live chat. This was, this is the most interesting thing about it, right? Who cares about the bingo game? Yeah. The most interesting thing was that you were playing with other people and it was one of my first exposures. This is a pre AIM in my memory. It's one of my okay. first exposures to like, I'm talking to strangers on the internet. There's a person inside of my computer and I am talking to them. And a big part of this game, maybe because it was called Slingo, was that there were lots and lots and lots of specific words or acronyms that you would use to describe what was going on in your game and communicate with other players. Uh, the only one I can remember, and you're going to have to boop it, <laughs> is you would say uh, ASA or ASMA, which stood for Angel Saved My Ass. And again, Angel was like some power-up you got, and it somehow saved you or something. Okay. My memory of this is very, very slim. But I do remember the very, like specific feeling of reading these like coded messages in this little chat box and at first knowing nothing about what they meant and this is there was definitely as far as i was as far as i know nowhere to look this up like this was pre urban dictionary or pre anywhere where you'd like find these things to find so occasionally you jump in and be like "Ooh, what does that mean and you know you might get a few laughs from the experienced players or someone might deign to explain it to you but usually you had to just kind of watch and pick up from context what these kind of coded acronyms and like shorthand and like lingo meant for these players communicating in the game yeah i'm curious to know if a listener out there has a better memory of this than me and will write in and tell me all the things i got wrong but if not this will become the canonical memory of slingo because people will look it up in the future and they'll find this podcast and they'll assume i remember it correctly so oh, great this is how history is shaping made. history <laughs> <laughs> history is made by guys who poorly remember the past mm-hmm. right exactly mm-hmm. it, so that's my first experience with it and what it made me feel i remember the feelings more than the actual game what it made me feel was like a outsider noob there's some more lingo for you matt Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
made me feel like an outsider before I knew what it meant. And then when I did know what it meant, it really enhanced my engagement in this community, right? Like it made me feel good as a kid to see a thing and know what it meant and kind of be on the inside, even though I was inside of probably the world's most stupid club, which is people that played bingo online with each other that had a little chat component. Uh, But that was the feeling it gave me. Um, Did you have any early life experiences with the lingo that you can recall? Mm, I know. I mean, I definitely spent a lot of time in like AOL chat rooms because that was my first experience with the internet. But I feel like that was that was the lingo of just any teen in the whole world. Like, yeah, just lots of people doing dabs and talking about how things are bay. Yeah, actually, I feel like to be honest, I think my my experience with lingo was more uh, seeing news stories about it and being like, I don't think people talk like that, you know. POS means parent over shoulder. And I'm like, oh, I never typed that. Is that what kids are typing? Oh, man, that's parents think kids are typing. One of my favorite things is when there's one of those news stories and it's like, (laughs) here's what your kids are really saying. And it's a combination of stuff that no one ever says that, you know, was just made up and like posted somewhere as a trap for some journalist (laughs) to find and then put on daily television, like daytime TV. Yeah. uh, And stuff that's like so painfully obvious, at least to us, that it's just, it's good. It's good stuff. Mm -hmm. So, as I grew up, my sort of next major milestone with lingo, and I've picked three milestones in my life to highlight here. We're taking the listener on a journey, Matt. Oh, that's exciting. The next major milestone with lingo was when I went to college and I studied my industry of choice, which happens to be graphic design, not important at all for this conversation, and became familiar with the lingo and specific language inside of that community. Uh, and then by proxy, and this is kind of related to it, uh, as I graduated and started moved into the professional world, I got more involved in the world of technology and software development, which also has its own kind of lingo. And the language of that whole world, my relationship with that has been for a long time, kind of notoriously, that I hate that lingo. I hate it a lot. I think people mm-hmm. shouldn't say the words. I think it's dumb. I think it's kind of intentionally or unintentionally meant to exclude people that would otherwise be able to participate in a conversation, but you as a software developer, tech person, hashtag thought leader, think that you are more important and more knowledgeable and you're going to use this language to try and keep them out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's this kind of other related world, which I guess is not strictly technology or design, but like business world lingo, which is probably one of the most uh, renowned, one of the most notorious types of lingo, right? Like the, the BS speak that somebody will give you that is a bunch of words, but means nothing. That's kind of meant to make them prop them up and make them look smart. Sure. Uh, a thing that a guy from the office would say. Exactly. Cause it's uh, very funny now. The, the thing that the person that scheduled the hour long meeting and then all the things you were done talking about that were important, finished around 45 minutes. And that last 15 minutes was filled up with uh, people really talking about circling back, finding some open cycles, getting in there, brainstorming really synergy really breaking really breaking through that glass ceiling glass blue sky sessions no blue sky blue sky engineering that's right that's the one blue sky imagineering you know you're getting in there doing all this stuff uh that's also a very kind of notorious lingo that really rubs me the wrong way and so as an adult since that point you know i was in this world as i was becoming what i would describe as an adult at least as near as as near as i'll ever get to it probably and uh i kind of adopted the opinion that most lingo is just you trying to make outsiders of somebody else. And I think oftentimes subconsciously, right? I think people do it for the same reason that I, in that chat room, like to use the lingo because it made me feel like I belonged. But making you feel like you belonged so you can have that nice little warm, fuzzy feeling is inherently making everyone else that's new to that chat room feeling that they don't belong. Right. And 
there are places where that's appropriate and there are places where they're not appropriate. And especially in industries like business, like technology, like design that are dominated by a certain type of person, I feel like anything that is propped up to try and keep anybody out, even as subtle and sort of seemingly innocuous as it might be, is detrimental. Well, to and, go back to your chat room example for a second, was that really to keep make everybody feel special or was it about uh, efficiency and not having to type? What was your what was your very long phrase that you were able to sum up in four characters? Uh, Angel saved my ass. Yeah. Are you going to be typing that all the time? You're saving a whole bunch of time by saying that dumb thing in four letters. You know, that's a really good question, Matt. And I thinking from a systems perspective, as I like to do. Mm -hmm. there's no reward for talking in the game. You get no points. You're no closer to winning, right? Yeah. And the things we were communicating, again, as best I can remember, having being able to remember very, very few actual examples of this, as best I can remember, nothing you were communicating was really of note. It wasn't like you were having a real human conversation with somebody. Like, this communication was not meaningful. It was like, you know, roll of the dice, random stuff that happened in the game that you're communicating to your other players, uh, so my feeling as I remembered it was that it felt like a little secret club that I could be in and it like scratched a little part of my brain for a while because I could, you know, after school hop on and, you know, hop in there and just start slinging acronyms back and forth on my weirdo internet friends. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but you know, there was not much depth to it, right? Like I think there's a reason that Slingo is not still played to this day, presumably, maybe it is. Uh, and I think that reason is largely because there wasn't that much to it. It was a bad game, but this one aspect of it was, was what sticks out so brightly in my memory and because there was no mechanical reason to do it i have to assume that it felt nice I have, I, it was it was good it felt good to do it well we you i mean you're just expressing yourself in the game like not everything has to be for points in order for communication to be effective right well i just mean that you were saying that it was you know a way to shorten something it was which is which is true yeah. and that is the excuse that almost every lingo slinging person will give you for why they say lingo right it's like oh this is a thing that i just can't explain this all the time so i'm just gonna say this and my little short go-to you know word that you know may have some additional meaning attached to it may actually shorten something in some cases may not uh, like yeah. i said i think there's a lot of lingo that actually is meant to kind of stretch things out whether people realize it or not um that's the excuse people give and my only point is that it wasn't like there was any motivation to communicate lots of information in a short amount of time in this game like yeah there was nothing to be gained by that. I guess I saved in typing, but there's no reason I have to tell everybody that this angel helped me out or that the jackal ran off with my P, the letter P. I don't know. I don't know what was going on in this game. I can't remember it at all. But I think it was the devil too, which would make sense because of the angel. So so I don't know. Um, I, I Again, I don't think this is a conscious thing. I think people do it because it feels nice to belong. And mm -hmm. when it feels nice to belong, you do things that sort of show your belonging, right? Yeah. So, where are you? You went through a similar experience I did, at least in terms of exposure to different lingo and different worlds with their own sort of language and, uh, yeah. you know, stuff. So, what is your feeling about So, I, I, I feel like I'm not as staunchly against it. I do think there, is, there are times when you're actually using a word that doesn't really exist anywhere else because it's very specific to your trade, your profession. Uh, and so, it does express something as opposed to having to, like, use the definition all the time, right? It's just another word. It just doesn't, it doesn't really belong anywhere else because no one would use it, right? It happens all the time in software. It happens in graphic design. It's a word that doesn't really come up anywhere else. So Sure, like, kerning is lingo. Yeah, I was going to say the first thing that came to mind is... kerning is a word that has a very specific meaning. There is no, yeah. 
Like the longer way to say it is the yeah. space between the specific letters, not the general word. You know. Okay. Yes, that actually saves time. I'm on board with that. There are words that are synonyms, which are kind of annoying because it doesn't really save time, and it's just like making obscuring something so someone else doesn't understand it. I think mm-hmm. that is annoying. Uh, but the the general concept of it, like, I feel like it's more on a case by case basis. Like the general idea of it is, lingo is just like jargon of a trade. The other definition is just local dialect, which is that's just culture, right? That's not so bad. It's just sure. another way of saying something. So if it's like it, intentionally obscuring something to be annoying, I find that annoying. If it actually is a time saver, I'm fine with it. Also, sometimes it's just hard to not join the club, right? Like. Even if oh, you for don't sure. do it because you don't want to be special, but everyone is just using it. Like, what are you going to do? Say a different word every single time and be the one person who's like, oh, this guy just won't say stand up. <laughs> Fine. Mm-hmm. Have sure. Have meeting all, over, all the time. Short meeting, whatever. But are you standing? Well, so I think kerning is a good example. And for those that don't know, Matt defined kerning. If you're in the graphic design world, kerning is the space between any two letters, uh, but just two specific letters. Like you kern letter pairs individually. You don't you know, current an entire word. It's called tracking. There's other languages for stuff like that. And that did take a period of time for you to explain, so probably easier for you to use the word. Well, so here's the deal. I know all those words, right? I know kerning, I know tracking, I know yeah. letting, I know all these words. Uh, I know measure. There's one for you. But yeah. I don't actually use these words in my day-to-day life because it's so much easier just to point to the thing and say, too much space here, <laughs> right? Like, I, I think a lot of times this specific language is useful on like an academic level, right? Like if you're writing something and you're a type designer, you're talking to other type designers and you're describing something about this very specific thing, then it totally makes sense. But when you're in a meeting with yeah. the client, if you're, you're in a meeting with a client that's not specialized, do you say this kerning is off or do you say, well, we really got to tighten this space up a little bit or, you know. No. It's, it's I would only say that to another graphic designer. I would never say that to a client because I think they're just going to be like, what are you talking about? And then you have to explain yourself, which makes you seem stupid. Well, I think a lot of people, uh, again, consciously or not, would very intentionally use a specific language in front of their client because they want to demonstrate their specialized knowledge and, you know, mm-hmm. make a case for their value, consciously or subconsciously. Um, but so I'm with you. I, I definitely wouldn't use it in front of people that weren't specifically, you know, taught or educated in this thing, right? Or knew, knew the sort of uh, vernacular already. But I'll go a step further and, like, I... I almost never say these words and i work as a graphic designer professionally and the reason is because it's so easy just to say less space here more space there uh you know open this up a bit and that's even a little bit of lingo in itself right like yeah. the context of saying open this up a bit versus tighten this up uh those are things uh, and i just think that um you know once you learn something there are multiple motivations to use it right one of the motivations is i don't want to have to define this which is absolutely true uh, and i think that again it very specifically applies most often in more academic or even theoretical context, right? Like if you're writing mm-hmm. a paper about, you know, how to set up the best kerning pairs for a new font you're designing, you know, you're obviously going to say kerning pairs. You're not going to say pairs of letters that you determine the space between them because that yeah. is ridiculous. Um, but the other motivation I think people don't pay attention to is that little shot of serotonin or whatever that just makes you feel good for like knowing a word and saying it. And honestly, this is true of, you know, specific uh jargon in industry as much as it's true of like regular words right like i you you've known the person at some point in your life i'm sure that had the word of the day calendar yep yeah like learning a new word and then saying it feels good you're like yeah that's the correct that's the correct place for me to use patois we're talking about patois here matt uh and that just it feels nice to know that specific word 
Well, actually, so, where do you where do you draw the line on that? Because I guess that we wouldn't call lingo. We would just have call that having a good vocabulary. Uh, and I feel like you are not a man who speaks in only a thousand words and that's it, right? Me use the good words, not the bad words. Well, I, I apologize. I guess I never noticed this is how you speak before, but... Well, so, so where do I draw the line? I think it's the same kind of person that will... And you know, I, I love language. Let me get that out of the way. I love the fact that we have so many words that are effectively synonyms, right? Because they're not actually synonyms. There are like specific contexts where it makes sense. Something could be huge, but not enormous. And something could be large, but not, you know, uh, gargantuan, right? Like there are specific... Con- you would never call a dog... I don't know. I, I can't think of a good example. I don't want to ruin it by giving a bad example. Never call a dog a cat. Wait, that's a terrible example. <laughs> so I love that diversity in language, especially when it comes to writing. Like I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially if you're trying to be, uh, well, everything is a combination of communicative and expressive. But I would say that especially if you're focusing on expressive, right? If we're talking about poetry, if we're talking about, you know, a love letter or something, you know, really find that right word. <laughs> you know, like you really want to find the thing that has the exact right tone and whatever you're trying to communicate with the person that you're, you're talking to with your audience. Yeah. Um, what I do think, though, is that there's a certain type of person that relishes using big words because it makes them feel smart. And I think that's the same person that also relishes using jargon and lingo specific to an industry uh, with blatant disregard for whether or not the people around them happen to also understand and know that lingo. Uh, I, 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 that's a thing that, it's, you know, it's a thing that all people have. And I, I, I'm sure people will have said this about me, because I do like words. I use big words sometimes. Uh, but <laughs> you do listen to Judge John Hodgman? Uh, not that frequently, but I am familiar with it. I've listened to it in the past. Yeah, it's another podcast, much worse than this one. Don't go listen to it. But <laughs> it's uh, it's a podcast where John Hodgman is a comedian, uh, actor, you know, man about town. He judges people's disputes. And he does this thing, which is brilliant, that I really love, which is sometimes he's asking, you know, these two people that are disputing something, and they're always like friends or, you know, partners or whatever he's asking them questions and he's not getting straight answers out of them and he what he does is he insists that they quote talk like hulk say it like hulk would say it and he, and he requires the people <laughs> to say like he requires the people to say like me mad you eat me cereal in the morning and make me want to not buy cereal anymore and like forcing people to intentionally speak in a way that is considered stupid or may yeah. sound dumb always 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 without fail increases the amount of communication that is actually happening between these people like multiple <laughs> times he's asked someone to speak like hulk and the other person is going oh i had no idea that's how you felt and it just it really says to me how much we can lose our core message in our sort of misguided attempt to express it more floridly than necessary i guess that is kind of the concept of thing explainer yeah that's another great example. Tiny bags of water you're made of. You explain it. I've been talking too much. Explain thing explainer. I, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he picks 1,000 words in the English it's, language. It's the 1,000 most used words in the English language, yeah. And he uses that to describe every very, very complex things. Like, he'll use that to describe a power plant or a cell or, uh, like, I can think of heavy metal power building is one. And yep, that's, and that's a nuclear power plant. Yeah. And that's how you explain a nuclear power plant, which, of course, is a very complicated thing. And then he'll explain everything within that using that language, like making power with water, or, uh, I don't know. This like, is where the bad stuff goes if it's a very sticks, bad day. Metal lifter, part lifter, like just yep, exactly. basic, basic terms like that that every, anyone could understand. Um, so you are correct. I mean, I think you're right, and people have explored that premise, that using uh, very easily understood words can help explain a complex thing. But then, wait, where do we stand on, like, 
scientific terms for things or i don't know well so here's the thing for me right uh that is that is another great example and it's all stemmed from the very first he, he first made just one comic and it was called upgoer 5 and it was a description of the saturn 5 rocket uh, using, you know, only the thousand most used words in English language. And it was so good and so popular, he made a whole book explaining all these things. And I have to, it's one of my most, I love the book, and it's honestly taught me a lot, specifically about nuclear power plants. That's the one I remember, because I've gone down a number of Wikipedia holes in my life. And, you know, I like to read things on the internet. I feel like I have a decent ability to understand stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was never able to really grasp just exactly, exactly how a, you know, fission power plant worked. Uh, and the diagram in Thing Explainer explained it perfectly. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a combination of genuinely explaining things in simple ways and also humor, right? Like there's, just, there's certain numbers that are not in the, in the, uh, in the 1,000 most used words in English <laughs> language. So he has to like, you know, describe a number as like seven minus two or something. I mean, five is obviously in there, but some of them are like hilarious workarounds because a certain thing that you would assume would be included is just not. Um, but it absolutely genuinely works. Uh, so to your question about like specialization, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a place and a time. And you know, if you know you're in a place where you're surrounded by people that have a shared context, then by all means, I do think that if you forced, you know, the world's scientists to only use the thousand most common words in their respective languages, you would greatly hinder the advance of science. <laughs> it take a lot of take a lot of creativity and time to write anything. It really would. Uh, so you're really going to cut down on the amount of progress we're going to make uh, because I do think there's a time and a place for it. Um, I just think that people are not cognitive enough of how the language they're choosing is going to affect their audience's understanding and, you know, not being, not understanding that it's a privilege to get to use language that is specialized and you should take that seriously. But Matt, we only have been to two of my milestones of, of lingo. Oh, well. Because I have had this relationship for the past couple of years with this card game we've talked about called Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. And it is a great card game. And since we last talked about it, I've it's only gotten lingo more based card game. Well, well since we last talked about it, I've only gotten <laughs> more invested in this game. Uh, and suffice it to say, uh, it is a game that wait, rewards... you haven't put a third plastic sleeve on every one of your cards, have you? <laughs> no, but <laughs> no, but we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> so it is suffice it to say, it is a game with a widespread community that really rewards deep investment on a lot of levels. It rewards deep investment for competitive players, for casual players. Uh, There's a lot of communities online and in real life dedicated to discussing the game, talking about it. It's a huge, huge community. And Lingo is is such a huge deal in this community, right? Uh, Oh, yeah. So it's a card game, and, you know, every format, which is already a little bit of lingo, uh, has different archetypes and decks that are popular, and each deck has a name, and the name has some esoteric etymology or maybe the person that invented it just named it something after something arbitrary but knowing all the names of these decks and all the shorthands for all of these cards uh right like you don't know who jtms is you don't know who grizzle daddy is you don't know any of these things because no i didn't all even this... know what i didn't even know what phasing was i had to read the parenthetical on the card to understand what it was actually, well actually to that, to that point they have to put little parentheticals next to the new lingo that they come up with because there's so much lingo on all the cards well, actually, no one understands what phasing is, so, so don't worry about that. <laughs> You're not alone there. Uh, so, so, yeah, so there's two levels to this. One level is that it's a community of people, very nerdy people, which is to say people that love to get invested deeply in things. That's how I'm going to define nerd That's in this context. That's our nerd definition. We'll, That's pretty good. We'll argue about that later. Uh, but a lot of people that love to get invested in things, 
that are inventing new words, new shorthand for this stuff all the time. A perfect example is, uh, you know, the there's a lot of different card types in the game, uh, and they make lands, which are like the most fundamental card. You have to play them to build up resources. And every time they come out with a new set, which is now twice a year, they always have new uh, cycles of non-basic lands. I realize I can't even explain this without using a ton of lingo. Uh, mm. But whenever they come out with basically like a new set of lands that all behave the same in each color, uh, there's basically a race on Reddit to figure out what the name, what the shorthand nickname for this cycle of lands is going to be in the future. Uh, and then, you know, you can look back and there's a whole wiki that has the, all the different land cycles and all their sort of nicknames. Everyone calls them fetch lands and shock lands and pain lands and check lands and fast lands. Uh, you know, there's just endless, endless world of lingo. And that's one part of it. And, you know, that part of it, I definitely look at and I'm like, you know, yeah, this is like, I'm in this club now. Uh, it feels nice to know what all these things mean. I like to learn the lingo and, you know, I end up using it, uh, especially around other magic players because, you know, I'm, I'm indoctrinated in it, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in this thing. So already I'm having some sort of like, you know, conflicting feelings with my previous feeling about lingo, which is that it is like this tool of the supremacy to hold down people and to maintain the status <laughs> quo. Now I'm like, well, maybe it's just kind of a fun thing people do when they, when they like to invent words for stuff. But the real, the real stinger, Matt, the real, the real nail in this coffin is that one, the head designer for Magic of the Gathering, who's been the head designer now for 16 or 17 years, most of the game's history, mm -hmm. uh, is this kind of like fast-talking, like brilliant guy who loves to, you know, be in the public and engage with the public. He has a Tumblr where he's answered like 100,000 questions people have asked him about the game, and he has a podcast every single week, actually two podcasts every single week, uh, called Drive to Work, where he, during his drive to work, just talks into his phone and, you know, talks about a random subject related to the game or not related to the game and then puts it out. And I've listened to a lot of these because, uh, you know, we talked about earlier, I'm a systems person. Game design is compelling to me. I like anybody who's really invested in a topic talking about it. And obviously I like this game a lot. So I like hearing about the history. It's just, it's, it's a podcast that, that can right down my alley. And this guy loves, and I mean loves, inventing new words for stuff. He... Yeah sees it as like one of his main jobs as the head designer of this enormously popular card game is to invent words for stuff. Uh, and he comes at it from the perspective of like linguistic relativity perspective, which is something I believe in wholeheartedly. Uh, and you, of course, know what that is. But for people that don't, linguistic relativity is this idea that has been studied and researched about that basically has established that humans don't just learn language, but your brain actually works with like language as one of the sort of fundamental pieces of it, right? Uh, and the way this manifests itself is that if you don't understand, if you don't know the word for something, it's, you, it's very difficult for you to actually like have a space in your brain to hold information about that thing uniquely. Um, so for example, some like really practical examples of this are like in cultures where people have, you know, many different names for colors that might seem close in the spectrum. Uh, those people are actually much better at distinguishing colors from each other than people that come from a culture that have less words for the colors in that spectrum, right? So if we call everything blue, that's everywhere from, you know, violet to, to green, we call it all blue, but somebody who lives in another culture has, you know, cerulean and azure and royal blue and navy. Uh, the person who grows up speaking that language, knowing those words, we better able to identify different colors in, in that sort of spectrum. There's a lot right. of other examples like that. But it's uh, not just naming a concept. It's almost as if, like, naming a concept 
gives you the concept in your brain or builds the bridge to that concept in your brain, right? Yeah, I like to think about it like once you have a name for something, now you have a little like line in the database in your brain that you can fill. And until you have a name for it, you can't really put any data there. It just gets lost and mixed in with everything else. You need to like name it. It's got a label. Now you've got a space for it. Uh, and you know, I, I'm not a, like a scholar on this stuff. I don't know if that's the best explanation for it, but there's, there's been a lot of evidence as I understand it to demonstrate that, you know, when you're a baby, it's not just that you're a baby and that you haven't learned anything yet. So you're dumb. It's that you can't speak yet. And being unable to speak makes it very difficult for you to like establish, you know, establish relationships with things. And that if you, if your speech is stunted for some reason, it becomes much more difficult for you to develop normally because your speech and your sort of understanding of language uh, is how you actually learn about the world. Sticking up for babies. Babies aren't just dumb people. Right, <laughs> exactly. Andy? They just don't know words yet. Give them a break. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. and so that is interesting because it's, uh, now you're making the argument that lingo is actually expanding your ability to understand things. Yes. Yeah. And, and I've, and I should say, I've always believed that part, right? You know, like when you name kerning, yeah, I, I've always believed that that should have a name. We shouldn't yeah. just always say the space between things here, because I think giving it a name means you can now talk about it with somebody else, which means you can now establish unique ideas about it. And it gives you this little database line in your brain that you can start filling in Now you in can with, write blog posts about kerning. It's important. Yeah, so it's important internally for your own brain. It's important externally for, you know, your your shared culture of people studying this thing so you can share your knowledge with somebody else, which is, of course, how we as a society progress, people mm -hmm. sharing ideas, collectively working towards a greater a greater good. Uh, that's a magic card, greater good. So the... Um, <laughs> The uh, so yeah, that's what really gets me about this, right? Is that here's a person that in some ways I would call this guy a role model, right? His name is Mark Rosewater, and I think he's a smart guy. I love listening to what he has to say, and he has a very different take on this stuff than me. I've always kind of bought into the ling linguistic relativity thing, but I've also felt like you shouldn't just try and invent new things, right? Almost like it's there's too much hubris in being like, I have discovered an actual unique thing that has never been a thing before, and I'm now going to name it because I have those rights. It's, it's almost like this kind of imperialist, well, like, idea, like, police, where you arrive on a new continent and, like, plant your flag. And I'm always like, I don't know that I'm on a new continent. I think this is probably already a pretty well-established continent. Well, it sounds like you have beef with doing that in the real world. The, the overall admission of this is this is fake. This is a game. Like, are you cool with it because it's a game? And it's like, well... Well, really how much anyway, more of a so game gonna... is it than, you know, business or graphic design? Mm, I think there's like, a, I feel like you're giving it a level of, uh, like, I feel like you're giving a little bit of a pass because there's this admission that it's not real. I don't think I am. I'm looking at it anthropologically, right? This is just a community of people. And some people make their whole living related to the game, right? Either they work on it yeah. or they are professional players or they are, you know, podcasters and, you know, media people in the magic community. So, like, it's no less of a career in some ways than graphic design is. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at it the same way everything else is. I'm, I'm not giving any pass because it's fake, right? And yeah. yes, some of the language they make up is dumber, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it sounds dumber because it's a fantasy world and you wouldn't, like, say it in front of strangers because they would probably look at you funny. But uh, but no, I, I take it exactly as seriously as I take, you know, lingo in the real world. And it's just, I have this sort of, you know, honestly what it is, is like, I, I feel like I'm, you know, sitting here and I have two parts of my brain and there's just Merlin man on one of my shoulders who is like being sarcastic and making fun of people that use business lingo. And there's Mark Rosewater on my other shoulder and he's just talking about how important it is to invent new words for things because it changes the way that people think about uh, think about topics, think about their process, and think about the game, and it's like transformative and super important. And 
at the end of the day, you haven't even asked me if I think the Finland goes good or bad yet. This is the whole point of this show, and I, I well, didn't even tell you. we're dancing around it. We'll get to that soon. Oh, that's good. But, we'll, we'll get people stuck and have to stay till the end. That's called a teaser. Because I'm because now I'm kind of like, okay, what are what are, what are we defining here? What have we? What are the ground rules that we've laid? Because it does seem like if it actually does save time, that seems good. If it actually does create a new concept, like if it expresses a concept in your brain, it puts a puts a spot for the or you know. Allows you to add a line to the database, right? That seems good. If it's just a stupid synonym, that's annoying. And it's m- very easy to make fun of when, it, even if it is a new concept, it just becomes cliche. But that's the same with any cliche, right? Sure. I see that. So is it just about, like, um, not actually being e- efficient or effective or being cliche? Like, the, it's not so much lingo. It's those two things that are annoying and really get your goat? Yeah. I think it comes down to a bigger picture because here's the deal, right? As we said, I wouldn't use any of my graphic design or technology-specific lingo in front of a client that wasn't technical or whatever. Uh, in the same way, I wouldn't, or at least I would strive not to use magic lingo in front of a new player if I was introducing to the game, or if I was talking to somebody who didn't play magic about the game, I wouldn't just start you know, talking about my cool stacks deck, which really locked out the game and mana denied people. Like I wouldn't do any of that. Uh, so I think, honestly, what it comes down to is just it's one of the most obvious examples of when somebody is not being thoughtful about the people around them. When you see somebody <laughs> just spouting off lingo, jargon, vernacular, patois, whatever you want to say, just you know, using some industry or community-specific language uh, outside of that community, or even honestly inside of that community, right? So mm-hmm. we have a we have a weekly game uh, every Wednesday night. We play Magic here in Baltimore, and uh, it's a big group of people. Something I'm conscious of is that the group is almost entirely white men, right? Uh, and it's all enfranchised players that have been playing for a long time. And something that I'm very conscious about is whenever anybody new shows up, I am always very careful to, of course, be very welcoming, but also like not talk in my, you know, inside baseball vernacular magic jargon because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've two years ago, three years ago, I was outside of that group. People were talking about, you know, their uh, their prison decks, and I was like, what, what? I don't know what that means. I'm not going to ask. I'm embarrassed. I'm going to go Google it later and figure it out. Thank God we have Google now. I don't know how I would have learned all the lingo because I'm too embarrassed to ask. But, Are you uh, embarrassed to ask? I feel like I'm pretty okay with just asking. If it seems like a totally obtuse thing, I feel pretty comfortable asking that question. Are you really embarrassed? Uh, I genuinely wish I was more comfortable. I mean, I'm, I don't get embarrassed of much. I don't have a ton of shame. Uh, mm-hmm. And I will definitely ask people or call them out on stuff if I don't know what they're talking about. But there definitely have been times where I was like, ooh, it feels like one I should know. <laughs> Let me go look that up. Uh, and whether it was like active embarrassment in the moment or just, you know, wanting to find out on my own time, whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so... Well, I'll tell you I, a tactic that works for me. If you don't know what it is, just make fun of them as nerds for knowing what it is. And then they'll feel the shame instead of you feeling the shame. And they'll explain mm, it to That's you. right. Pass the buck. That's good, Matt. That is a sustainable, sustainable plan. Yeah, that's why I make fun of you for saying things like phasing, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just like <laughs> phasing and banding. Yeah, sure. Whatever that means, you nerd. You see how that felt? I don't feel dumb anymore. Now you feel dumb. Do you have any idea where phasing and banding are on the storm scale, Matt? Whatever, nerd. See? <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> oh. But this guy seriously just invents stuff all the time. You listen to his podcast. He just makes stuff up. Like he invented the storm scale and, you know, the, uh, what's the name of the plane that Homelands was on? I can't remember the yeah. name of that plane. That but does he, sound like a lot of fun. Well, it's the thing is he invents stuff and so many of them, that's, that's, that's even the thing, right? So he takes this linguistic relativity approach, but so often 
he's not actually adding anything with the word, right? So yeah. like all storm scale means is the likeliness that they will reprint a mechanic, right? Uh, storm is one of the famously, is another mechanic in the game, and it's uh, notorious for every time they try and make cards with Storm, they're always broken and they have to ban them. Like, they're always way too powerful, no matter how hard they try and make them not powerful. Uh, so they're never bringing back Storm because it's too good and they keep screwing it up. So the Storm scale is how close to Storm a mechanic is on the never coming back spectrum. Yeah. Uh, but you could just call it the how likely are we to reprint a mechanic spectrum? <laughs> and that's not that much longer. I mean, you can, you can probably shorten it too. Uh, so like those things, it's like, yeah, now we can say storm scale, but like, is that really helping out at all? But I'll tell you what it really does. I think he's very conscious that he's not just saving people time and being efficient. He's very conscious that he is very much at the center of a huge community of people and putting more lingo out there is genuinely a community builder, right? Yeah. Like if I go somewhere and someone mentions a storm scale, my ears can perk up and I can say, ooh, one of me. <laughs> Hello, come closer. We, we have a shared bond. We can talk about all these kinds of things now because we have these little, uh, you know, a little shibboleth. There's, a, there's some lingo for you. Uh, I guess it's not strictly a shibboleth. Can I ask another question that I think maybe goes maybe a little deeper into your psyche? Go deeper into my uh, psyche. That's what the whole show is about. Does this kind of annoy you? Because now, now that you've outed yourself as a graphic designer who works in technology, does it annoy you as a guy who has to create apps and systems that cannot use lingo because you have to speak to somebody who, like, you're trying to say it as simply as possible and you know everyone's going to ignore your interface anyway? Does it bother you that people are creating language for people who are super invested in their thing and the thing that you're making doesn't have that? luxury um, or whatever language is not the way that manifests itself but i definitely have that feeling i am endlessly jealous of people that get to work on something where they know their audience is invested because that's the biggest thing here is like if oh this my guy's creating a he's creating this world with all these new words people want to learn them as opposed to like i'm here for three seconds and now i'm gone you didn't catch me You're like he's ah. got hundreds of thousands <laughs> of people lapping up every single thing the guy says <laughs> I mean, so they release sets every twice a year, like I said, and uh, there's a spoiler season, right? They've realized they can't keep all the cards secret until the set comes out. They will naturally, like, leak because they have millions of retailers all over the place. They have to send them product ahead of time. Someone will open it up and post pictures on the internet because they are willing to risk it. Uh, so they, the company itself spoils cards. Like, they tell you what's going to be in the set slowly, sort of, like, on a release schedule ahead of time. It's actually really cool. They involve, there's a million, obviously, like, podcasts and youtube channels and blogs and you know all kinds of stuff dedicated to different parts of the game and they actually give like you know dozens of different people in the community their own spoiler card like to kind of as a shout out and like thank you for being a like big member of the community you get a chance to spoil a card for for the next mm. upcoming set um but so, <laughs> so you would be is, good bad show magic gathering episode number two still good wait sorry what were we talking about <laughs> Look, this podcast has no is no no holds barred. Okay, we can talk about anything. I refuse to feel. I refuse to be censored on this show. Okay, except when you say "angels save my ass." Except for that, you gotta beep that out. We're trying to keep it clean so all the kids out there can learn about lingo and magic. But you would be. I'm still constantly shocked at how much people uh, will try and speculate as to what is going to be in the next set. Uh, yesterday, for example, I was looking at uh, so. These cards have art on them. They have pictures on them. And yeah. the artists that make pictures for the cards become famous in their own right because this 
community is so enormous and voracious that like uh, and one of my friends yesterday was just constantly emailing this one artist because there's some art on a card coming out in the next set that this guy really likes and he wants to get it on a playmat and he's just bugging this artist to release this art on a playmat as I'm sure hundreds of other people are doing the same thing. Uh, so these artists have their own kind of celebrity and like their own Facebook pages with their own followings that are all magic players because they like their art. And uh, so like somebody posted, they're obviously not allowed to talk about what they're drawing for the, for the game, right? Because they're not supposed to spoil any of the mechanics or new future yeah. cards. But uh, one of the artists named John Avon uh, posted something on his Facebook page like months ago uh, talking about how uh, he was working on five sets of cards for, for Wizards for Magic. And, uh, you know, he decided to get out his old acrylic paints instead of doing it digitally. And he thought it really sort of served the medium to do it with, with sort of tangible paint. And he said that he wasn't allowed to talk about it, but these cards were going to make quite the splash. And that sentence was subject of so much scrutiny and speculation from the magic community as to what he meant by make a splash that people were imagining what the mechanic might be and assuming he was talking about painting a cycle of lands and, you know, stretching out into infinity. So, yes, obviously, as someone who creates things, I am <laughs> so freaking jealous that they have this sprawling expanse of people that are, like, literally eating up every single thing that anybody associated with this sort of property, like says or puts on the internet or posts anywhere i don't think that's what literally means but maybe that's some magic lingo we're using they're literally eating that content mm -hmm. with their mouth and digesting it Sorry, literally I, I didn't mean to interrupt you no it's fine you're supposed to interrupt me more. actually i did mean to interrupt otherwise i'll talk about magic forever <laughs> uh so the point is so the point is yes you are jealous we get it for sure uh, <clears throat> but back to lingo which is the subject of this episode I, i'm gonna go ahead and say that i i think Here's what I think. I can say very confidently that lingo is very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. More powerful than most people give it credit for. And I think with great power comes great responsibility. And there's a lot of people that don't take that responsibility seriously when they start to pick up the language of a specific community. And another great example is this. So I, um, one of the reasons I love Twitter and love the internet as a whole is my ability to kind of just be the, a fly on the wall in communities to which I'm not really a member, right? Uh, so yeah. I make a point to follow people on Twitter that are not at all like me. Uh, I make a point to listen to podcasts that are by people that don't really share anything in common with me at all in terms of you know cultural background, in terms of you know, values, in terms of whatever, because I think it's interesting to hear what other people say. And as a as a like by virtue of that, I pick up in terms like know the meaning of like lots of lingo for communities that I'm not a member of, and I am. I know that I'm not, I don't use that lingo, right? I'm, I'm not supposed to go around using the sort of language that I hear on, you know, Jesus versus Marrow because that's not, I'm not part of that community, right? That would be, that'd be a fraud. That would be like appropriative for me to like come in and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to start saying these words now because that's not, you know. And I would make fun of you as I should. So as worry. you should. You got, but I, you got people to keep you in check. But you know what, fam? I'm not going to walk around <laughs> and talk about that kind of stuff because that's just, you know, I recognize the power of language, and I think yeah. uh, a lot of people don't, and that's what this show is about. Is lingo good or bad? Depends, but it's powerful. It's definitely powerful. We just need more. We need, we need words to split up lingo into useful, into not useful, into cultural. We need some lingo lingo to express what we really mean, because lingo is too all-encompassing. Just language, Andy. I think just you're language. describing philosophy, <laughs> <laughs> basically. You know what I do wish, though? What? 
I do kind of wish you and I could just rattle off like a minute and a half of nicknames at the beginning of every show. But I don't think I don't think we have nicknames though. Like I've never I've never called you anything except for Andy Mangold too, which I think is funny because <laughs> it's your Skype name. <laughs> I, do you think people gave Jesus and Mero all those nicknames, or do you think they made them up no. for themselves? No, they made them up for themselves. They but have they have a lot of swagger though. They can pull that off. We yeah, definitely say couldn't. it's a little bit more plausible than you making up the nicknames. I think no, for some reason that does not work, <laughs> and uh, I'm not exactly sure what that reason is. But I don't have I don't have I'm not cool enough. I can't do that. I don't have the charisma. Do you have a nickname you really want people to use? <sighs> I mean, I can think of a lot of things a lot of people to call me, but you know, go ahead. What do you want? So there's something unseemly about that. I feel like. You want me to call you Sting or something? I don't know. Sting. That's <laughs> not what any of their nicknames are. are allowed to have. They don't go. They don't say, "Hey, it's me, Jesus." Sting. <laughs> Just or, like naming slash? single word nicknames. Actually, I did. I did look up. Uh, I did listen to like death metal history all all weekend. Uh, that actually is a that is a solid source of nicknames. If you don't mind, if you if you could just refer to me as Corpse Grinder from now on, sure, that would be great. Maybe uh, maybe a Pig Destroyer. Sure, that's you one. Know, you want to know the best the best sentence I heard in the the uh, the history of heavy metal podcast I was listening to? I do. Yeah, you broke up there for a second. Oh, it was uh, Chris Barnes, singer of Cannibal Corpse, who was later replaced by Corpse Grinder. It's a pretty good sentence. I mean. I have, to, I have to be honest. I don't know how you missed Corpse Grinder the first time around. Your name is Cannibal Corpse. The first guy's name was Chris Barnes. Seems like... Too busy pig destroying, I guess. Guy named Corpse Grinder comes along. You're like, I feel like you were made for this band, man. Chris Barnes, <laughs> you're out of here. A guy named Corpse Grinder comes along. <laughs> Doesn't happen that often. I've never met... Uh, I don't know if that's his Christian name. I've but... never met a Corpse Grinder either. Yeah. It's a perfect name for a death metal guy. It's me, Patrick Corpse Grinder. <laughs> No, it's me, Corpse Grinder Jones. Corpse Grinder Jones. <laughs> oh, are we done? Do we make a podcast? We made a podcast.